This episode of On the Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles curbside pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles On the Beat show. And uh, should be a really interesting show. Excited to talk a little bit about the Georgia-South Carolina game. Uh, what Kirby Smart had to say this week about the injuries at Georgia. And then really special guest. I think you're really going to like this. Jacob Hester, a guy that played at LSU, a guy that played in the NFL, uh, does a uh, serious XM ESPN off-campus radio. Uh, Jacob, of course, with his own radio program down there in Baton Rouge as well. Uh, spent some time with Kirby Smart when Kirby was on the LSU coaching staff and, um, you know, really just provides great insight and background into SEC as well as national football. So you are going to want to stick around for the second half of the Ingles on the Beach show when I welcome Jacob Hester to the set. Uh, well, Kirby Smart uh, today putting the weekend, you know, into perspective again. And at one point he even said, you know, look, guys, I, I really want to talk about UAB. Don't really want to. You know, but he, but he says he's trying to trying to please everybody here, trying to answer the questions and put things into perspective because it's been a minute since we've seen Georgia struggle at home, right? They've won 21 straight at home. That's the longest home win streak in the nation, the active win streak in the nation. Uh, they've won 20 straight games. Of course, that's a school record. Also, the longest streak in the nation. And yet there we were. Uh, 14 to three South Carolina is holding a halftime lead. And, you know, Kirby kind of put that into perspective today. And here was his quote. He said, um, you know, Georgia had a 13 and 11 play drive in the first half that came out to be three points. He said, you know what? He said, that's hard to do. Uh, you can't have a 14 and 11 play drive and only get three points. Typically, Georgia much better in the red zone. And he said, that's pretty much the difference in the first half is South Carolina was good in the red zone and Georgia wasn't. And Georgia didn't have good first down plays in the red zone. So it wasn't like they were in four down territory when like it was fourth and one or fourth and two. He said, you know, it's fourth and 10. You know, you, you got to go for the field goal. So you know, that really puts things into perspective as far as what we saw. It wasn't like South Carolina just went out there and, boy, they're dominating. They're up 14 to three. I mean, on the scoreboard, yeah. But if you looked at what really happened in the game, and I asked Kirby about the – I asked Kirby the Mike Bobo question. I said, look, you were hearing the fans and, and you know, Kirby said, look, anybody that knows football knows that these are the same plays that have been run the last three years. So he just completely discounted that. Has nothing to do – with the plays. He said, now there are some injuries and that's been different and the execution has been different, but the plays haven't been different. It's just the players have. And think about this. You went from having a third year starter with Stetson Bennett to having a third game starter with Carson Beck. Okay. You went from having Lad McConkey and Adani Mitchell to having two transfers out there. Rara Thomas, who's still learning some of the vocabulary, just now starting to really, um, you know, show us some things with his pass catching ability, had a nice catch downfield last game. And 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 love it, right? Who is also just starting to warm up a little bit. Uh, Brock Bowers this year is not the same as Brock Bowers last year. Brock is a little banged up. He's not quite as explosive. He's still out there playing. He's playing through it. Look, everybody knows it. I think he's got a groin. These are things you got to get treatment. These are things you play through. But they do affect you. They, they affect your explosivity. In the backfield, uh, Kenny McIntosh is gone. There's no Kenny McIntosh back there. Uh, Kendall Milton's not Kendall Milton. You know, Kendall sprained his knee, but uh, Kendall's been playing with bad hamstring, has not looked explosive. Dejan just came back. That was his first game back. He missed the first two games. Now, I'll tell you, I do like Dylan Bell. But I think it's too early to be comparing them with anybody from last year. They're still working Bell in there. Uh, but the running backs haven't been as explosive or as healthy. Uh, the wide receivers, you know, Ladd McConkie, far and away, one of the most explosive guys in the league. He hasn't played yet, and, and he's not going to play this week. He's got the back injury. Adani Mitchell, when he was healthy, was as really as good as anybody in the country when you think about the big game catches. He's gone. Now, Marcus Rosemey Jack St. consistent efficient but not explosive so so what you've seen is execution hasn't been as good um georgia hasn't been as explosive as they were last year and you know like kirby said the red zone has has not done carson is is done you know kirby made it clear he's he's pleased with carson 
But Carson doesn't bring some of the intangibles that Stetson Bennett did with that mobility, and, and it really helped out in the red zone. You think about some of Georgia's red zone touchdowns last year. You had a few of those Stetson Bennett scrambles. You don't have that at the position right now. be interesting to see if down the line Kirby decides he needs that. He's got two other quarterbacks that can both run and Brock Vandegrift as well as Gunnar Stockton. But right now, Carson Beck, uh, satisfying the head coach, pleased with the decision-making, liked the poise that he showed. Uh, Kirby said he learned more in this game than he did the first two because he got to see how his team responded to adversity. And it's not like you try that. It's not like, oh, you know what, let's let's fall behind at halftime by double digits and see what we do. No, that's not the plan, okay? Kirby will – do plenty of that in practice. He'll create plenty of adversity in practice, but Kirby Smart will never put his team uh, intentionally in an adverse situation in the game. But there it was. And you saw how Georgia responded at home. What if it would have been on the road? I don't know. Don't know what would have happened if it would have been on the road, but it wasn't Sanford Stadium. I believe Sanford Stadium makes a huge difference. And I'll detour for just a second there. I actually went and covered the Florida-Tennessee game. Because, you know, Dog Nation, we've got the Dog Nation invasion uh, that's going to take place at Tennessee on November 18th. That is going to be a monumental game. Even with the Vols losing one game, maybe they'll have two losses by then. I don't know what they're going to do in Alabama, uh, you know, in, in October. But I wanted to see that showdown. And Florida won that game because of the crowd. I, I mean, to tell you, they won that game. Now, Tennessee fans will tell you Georgia won last year's game because of the crowd, because Georgia – Crowd force, like six false starts, and I don't know what it was, how many motion penalties. Georgia won a game last year because of number 88, okay? Jalen Carter knew what Hendon Hooker had for breakfast. He was that close to his face mask the entire game, and and uh, what Georgia was able to just pure domination up front. Uh, dogs actually called the dogs off in the second half, or that score would have been a lot more lopsided. The game between Florida and Tennessee, though, Tennessee – uh, Hendon Hooker's not there anymore. Okay. Joe Milton's not him, not as consistent. He's got a fantastic arm, though. He will try you deep. Uh, he will throw it on the line. Tennessee's receivers, not what they had last year. Uh, clearly, uh, they missed Jalen Hyatt, uh, one of the fastest receivers in college football. Still really good, though. Tennessee, good enough to beat you um, if you don't score on them and put them in catch up mode. When they're able to run the ball, they're very effective. But I really thought. The crowd at Florida really carried the Gators. They got some momentum. Uh, Trevor Etienne, I mean, this this guy's really good. Um, I don't know that I think he'll be able to run the ball as effectively on Georgia. I think Georgia's front is considerably better than Tennessee's. I still like Georgia to beat Florida handily when they play in Jacksonville. I still think Tennessee is the toughest remaining game on the Georgia regular season schedule because it's in Knoxville and because it's in November. So I think that's still a tough game. I think Florida earned some respect for me, all right? But there's other games that, like, for example, I think um, I think playing Kentucky is going to be tough. I think the old Miss game is going to be tough. I think that playing at Auburn in a couple of weeks in the very first road game of the year for Georgia is going to be tough, especially when we learned today that Amarius Mims, the starting right tackle, you saw he left the game in the first half, He's going to have tightrope surgery on that ankle. So now you're down big Mims, and we don't know how long he's going to be out. Um, three weeks, four weeks. Um, should be interesting to see when Amarius Mims comes back. Kendall Milton, uh, sprained MCL, uh, tells me he's probably out the UAB game. Not sure about his status for Auburn. We've seen Dylan Bell emerge there, and we've seen Cash Jones do some nice things. Those are players that really complement. I think Dejon Edwards carries the load. You saw Dejon go over 100 yards on 20 carries. Very impressive performance for Dejon Edwards in his first game back because he had a sprained knee. Uh, the tight end position is a little worrisome right now. Um, I think that you've seen Georgia mostly in 11 personnel with only one tight end. Uh, I want to say maybe three-fourths of the time. Uh, as opposed to the two tight end set, I mean, Georgia still does some with Oscar Delp in there, but Delp improving rapidly, impressive player. But as I said last week, um, I think that Darnell Washington was the Shaquille O'Neal of tight ends. You just don't replace that size and what Darnell brought. Um, you can't help but have some level of drop off there. So we're talking about some drop-off in the backfield with no Kenny McIntosh and all the versatility he brought. 
you're talking a little bit of drop off at the tight end position. Uh, jury's out on quarterback to me. I thought Stetson did a ton of great things. Carson's got a really good arm. And Kirby even said, you know, that baseball background, he loves how quickly that Carson gets rid of the ball and he likes Carson's ability to read the defense. And somebody asked Kirby today, you know, how do you explain how smooth this transition's been at your quarterback position? And he said, well, it's because Carson's been playing his position for three years, this, this offense. Okay. This is the same offense he's been playing. So just because we didn't see him on Saturday, you know, doesn't mean he wasn't doing it well in practice. And he was. And so that's what the head coach said. And that's why Carson is still out there. He's earned more of that equity of trust from Kirby. Now, that's not to say that we may not see Vandergriff or Stockton at some point if Kirby decides this offense needs mobility at the quarterback position. I think, you, you know, that's just one of those tools in the toolbox for Kirby Smart when he looks at what does this team need to win a championship. And it's going to be a work in progress. It's going to look different every week because Kirby told us today uh, on Monday uh, at the time we're doing the show that this is the longest injury list that George has had during his eight-year tenure. He said Ron Corson came up and told him that. Just so many guys that are beat up and out, but the, but really missing Lad McConkey is is really to me uh, that that's really big because Lad is a guy that that really takes the top off a of defense, and you've got to have that kind of guy to get that defense back, right? But right now, who's that guy that really scares you deep? And you know, somebody asked Kirby today about not taking deep shots. I had a fan ask me that. We had a PG Jackson guy on our our Dog Nation forum that asked me that. And you know, just take a shot, just to take a shot. I said that's that's not Kirby. Kirby is take what's there. If they give you a shot, take it. But that's not what's happening. Okay, so it's going to be interesting to see how Kirby Smart in the offense continues to try to work things. Right now, you're seeing a lot of this quick pass game. Um, you know, these, these quick screens reason being, they want to spread the defense out. Kirby said, this functions like a run. These are very high percentage passes. It gives the receiver, whether it's Bowers, whether it's Lovett, I think he said six out of nine catches on the perimeter out there where one of those two guys gives them a chance to do something with the catch. After they make the catch, they get to make those yards after the catch. Right. So in George's mind, that works like a run play even though in the stats it shows up as a pass. And I know fans are frustrated with that, this patient plotting attack, but it's very efficient. It limits the turnovers. And of course, Kirby Smart is going to play percentage football. He's going to make you drive the field on Georgia. You're not going to get any easy points because they're going to get sloppy or desperate or uh, you know too anxious and too eager and, and have those three and outs on their own. And it's just not the way Georgia works. Georgia is going to make you earn every single point on the scoreboard in every yard. And they're going to challenge you in the red zone. And, and you got to give Shane Beamer uh, just a ton of credit. I'll be honest. I was one of those people that thought that Georgia was just going to destroy South Carolina. I said, how in the world can South Carolina compete when they lost, you know, to North Carolina by two touchdowns in a neutral site and gave up nine sacks. I mean, if, if North Carolina beat them that bad, surely Georgia will. Well, not necessarily the case. This Georgia team right now is not playing at the most elite level. Now, they're number one based on what they've done in the past, based on the um, confidence, I guess, that people have in Kirby Smart, that this team will get better and they will change from week to week and they'll do what they've got to do. UAB week, this is one more week to tinker. This is one more week to get it done right. Continue to get young players reps. Look for potential answers. We saw Dylan Bell emerge in this side of game, in this sort of game. Maybe somebody else will emerge, right? Kirby's still looking for a lot of answers. We'll see what happens at safety. Will Javon Bullard be back or will, D will David Daniel be there? You know this, if David Daniel's back there, he will play much better than he did in his first start. It's it's game speed. It's, you know, there's no substitute for that. Uh, same with Dan Jackson. You know, these guys got very valuable reps and an SEC game that adds that that Georgia gets a lot out of their reps because of the way they coach, because of the way they teach, because of the way they improve these guys. And those reps were invaluable. This team needed it's like air in the tire, right? When you're playing the backup guys, you know, you're just you're building the whole locker room up. And so 
Georgia hasn't had to look like the best team in the country yet to be undefeated. I don't think they'll need to look like the best team in the country against UAB. I think there's a big test waiting at Auburn in two weeks. And I think there's going to be a big test with a very physical Kentucky team coming in here. So Kirby and his staff have to get some things right. It's going to be very important for Georgia to use this week to get better. Now, it'll be interesting to see how many quarterbacks they play. It'll be interesting to see the distribution of carries in the running back room. It'll be interesting to see how much Brock Bowers plays. Like I said, Brock a little nicked up. Be interesting to see how the offensive line looks. Kirby did not commit to playing Xavier Trussett right tackle and Dylan Fairchild at left guard. He said he, it depends on the health of some other guys. He did say Austin Blasky would be back this week. That makes me wonder. He's somewhere in the mix. So keep an eye on that offensive line rotation. Keep an eye on, on young players who plays more opportunities. Will we see some more Xavier Sori out there, perhaps? C.J. Allen? Um, you wonder, um, you know, Jordan uh, Hall. Uh, these are opportunities for young players to get valuable repetitions. Jamal Jarrett's uh, in secondary, David Daniel, Dan Jackson. Maybe keep Javon Bullard out one more week to make sure. Um, you know, it's not a video game. When these guys get injured, you go, oh, well, he's going to be back. It's not like somebody hit the restart button and he's whoop, all the way back up to hell. These are injuries that are still there. It just guys play through it. They get healthy enough to play, but they're still feeling it. And just like when you saw Brock Bowers drop a pass this year, or when you saw Lad McConkey drop a pass last year, other injuries do contribute to a player's level of concentration and ability to perform at peak opportunity. And so it matters so if Georgia can rest these guys, uh, I think that would be the best case scenario. And I think that's probably what Kirby will do, because then you're really getting into the stretch run. Now, granted, Kentucky and Vanderbilt aren't exactly the most intimidating teams in the league. And then you have a bye week. But boy, then you better be right. Right. Because here comes Florida. Uh, well, you got Missouri. You got Tennessee. I mean, the month of November, Ole Miss coming in. Um, Going to be fascinating. Uh, now. Coming up momentarily, uh, Jacob Hester. I asked Hester to rank the top five teams in the SEC, and we were pretty we were pretty similar. Um, I will give you my top five, and then when he comes on, I'm going to ask him his top five teams in the SEC. I got Georgia number one. I still believe that I, a little bit over LSU, just because of that LSU let down in the second half against Florida State. I, I can't forgive the Tigers for that, but I think they're playing great football right now. Number three, I've still got Alabama. And I know maybe I'm the last guy, you know, turn out the lights, whatever. But I've got confidence that that the Crimson Tide has so much talent that Nick Saban will figure this out. And I know last week was a disaster against South Florida and the quarterbacks uh, certainly did not impress. But Milrow is going to be back under center. I think it's going to be a different Jalen Milrow. I think it's going to be a different Alabama. I think they're going to beat Ole Miss um, probably by 10 points in Tuscaloosa. Uh, so Alabama number three for me. I, I'm so unsold on Ole Miss, and even though AM had a bad game in Miami, I'm going to keep Texas AM number four. I think Bobby Petrino is, is just a fantastic offensive coach. I think they had a letdown. I think they're going to get some things fixed. And number five for me is ever so slightly, ever so slightly, Ole Miss. Ole Miss, only because UT lost last week. I think the Vols are going to be back there. I like what they did. I saw some sparks. I saw some things. I said, oh, yeah, that's going to cause some teams some trouble. Uh, Joe Milton's arm is just, just a bazooka, and he can make all the throws. He was a little bit off, but I really think that that swamp crowd, it is such an intimidating, loud place. And I had back-to-back -back games. I was in Tuscaloosa the week before, and that was very loud. But I got to tell you, the swamp was deafening. The swamp was at the same level um, that I thought Georgia was last year against Tennessee and what Georgia was in Sanford Stadium against Notre Dame. Those were two of the loudest crowd I've ever been around in the swamp. But they were desperate. You know, they had to have a win. Billy Napier was 0-4 against his rivals. I think that was a must win for Florida, and they got it. I, I, I still think Tennessee is a better team than Florida, but Florida got that win. That's all that mattered. Uh, so I hope you're enjoying tonight's Ingles on the Beat. Write your comments down there. Write your questions. I always go back and read them. Uh, some of them are funner, easier to read than others. Sometimes people 
stick me, pop me, criticize my takes. Hey, it's all fun and games. We're talking college football. It's what we love to do at Dog Nation. Now, want to take a break. I want to recognize our sponsor, Ingles. We certainly appreciate what Ingles does. Uh, they make this show possible every Monday night. The sponsorship is great, uh, but the service is great, and the stores are great. And, of course, we know that going all the way back to the pandemic, um, when times were tough, Ingles was there. Uh, for me, Ingles was there for you, and uh, Ingles is still there for us. So let's take this moment, recognize our sponsor, Ingles, and when we come back, Jacob Hester joins the program. Did you know that Ingles sells more organics than any other store? Or that they run their own dairy? Or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else? Or that they have energy smart stores? Or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department? Or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingles, low prices, love the savings. Well, welcome back to the program. And as promised, now delivering former LSU star, Denver Broncos, San Diego Charger, Jacob Hester. You see him on the SEC Network. You hear him on the SEC Network. And Jacob, I really appreciate you joining us. Um, you also do a radio show. Tell me tell me about that radio show, because you really kind of kind of turn it loose on the radio show. Oh, man, I, I got a lot going on, which is a good thing because, Mike, as you know, I have five children, so <laughs> you got to have a lot going on when that happens. And so the best part about what I'm able to do is I do a local radio show throughout like Louisiana and the Gulf Coast. And so we talk a lot of LSU and, and the SEC. And then on Sirius XM, I do off campus, which is nationally. So I get a chance to talk about everybody, Pac-12, Big Ten, Big 12. It doesn't matter. And so I'm really enjoying it because like both are completely different. And so every single day, blowing hot air for at least six hours. Got to like that. He's a workhorse on the football team. He's a workhorse behind the microphone. Jake, you mentioned that you do national as well as mm -hmm. SEC and you know, we were kind of chatting it up, uh, you know, before the show, the SEC not having really, I mean, George is still number one. I mean, they're a two-time right. defending champ. They've won 20 in a row. But when we look at the national landscape, the SEC doesn't seem as daunting. They're out of conference record. You know, Missouri's win over Kansas State notwithstanding. I don't want to call it an off year. It's still early. Is this going to be a year where somebody other than the SEC wins the national title? Or do you think it's just a matter of, SEC talent cycling up uh, by the time the college football playoffs start. Well, yeah, the SEC has been bad in non-conference, not like bad to their standard, just bad in general. I mean, you look at those games against the ACC and oddly enough, the ACC was more physical than the SEC in most of those cases. And now Missouri got a good win against Kansas state, but the SEC, for whatever reason, they have just not looked apart in non-conference. And Mike, we're so used to them not only looking the part, but dominating that part. And it just has not been the case. And so when you look at like the, the big picture of it, this really has like 2007 written all over it. This season does like I'm expecting chaos at the end because you have so many teams that look like they're right at the same spot and in multiple conferences, I mean, you look out West, I don't know how that's going to play out, but I think there's going to be a good football team that comes out of the Pac-12. I mean, every single week you're starting to look at some really good teams and they have the most important position quarterback figured out. Like a team like Washington, not a lot of people talking about Washington. I think Michael Penix Jr. is one of the best players in the country. And they, that's a team right now that's sitting there in the top 10 that nobody's really expecting to be there in the end. But if you actually watch the tape, it's like, man, they got two All-American receivers. They got an All-American type quarterback. Okay, I can see them being there. How does the Big Ten play out with the three teams they have there that are championship quality, in my opinion? So right now, as I look at it, I don't know that I could say, okay, yeah, that's a clear favorite. That's a clear favorite. It feels like there's a group of like eight teams, Mike, that could still go out there and win a national championship. Yeah, I actually have Washington number one in my poll and my football writers. I don't polls. blame you. Some people might say that's a, a reach, but I'm with you. I'm uh, Michael Penix Jr. is a guy that's impressed me. Washington has looked really good. DeVore doing a great job. And, it, you know, the only thing about the Pac-12, and we usually say this about the SEC, is they'll beat each other up. You know, right. Oregon, Washington, Utah, USC. You know, right now, can't believe I'm about to say this, but I think I would put the top four in the Pac-12 up against the top four in the SEC right now if you were to do uh, kind of a challenge series. Now, before we get too yeah. deep, and I'll reflect on 2007 in a moment, um, 
Colorado, Deion Sanders. I mean, I, I, to me, I don't want to use just sideshow. That that seems I don't that seems to. But look, college game days out there. They're they're playing these prime time event. Deion Sanders making national headlines. I'm, whether it's good for the game or not, Jacob, it's happening, right? Yeah, it's a change. Like all of college football is changing. Like you and I have talked about that, and like no more change than like look at the twenty twenty four season when there's just like all out change with the playoff system and different things. But we've been building to all this change, NIL and transfer portal, and like now Colorado, the way they're doing it, it's a new way in college football, and they completely revamped the roster, guys. I mean, what was the final number? It's in the eighties, guys. You brought in only I think ten guys left on that roster, and. My whole, like during the offseason, my whole narrative was, I have no idea. I have no idea what this team is going to be. So I didn't really take one stance or the other because we just, we've never really seen it. We've seen some teams like Michigan State a couple of years ago, like they had all new portal guys and Kenneth Walker. And it's like, okay, then the next year they struggled. It's like, is it going to be that? Is that going to be the case study? But I just don't know. There's so much change in college football. And look, Colorado, love them or hate them, however you feel about them. Right now, they got some real juice. And, and they have an electric environment to a team that had zero juice last year. They might end up winning seven, eight games. I don't know what that number is. But they've already, like to the expectation of what we had for them, having the great unknown, think about what they've done already in three weeks. I mean, even college game day, like it was a close game, rivalry game, the whole situation. But if you watch college game day, that was electric. They got the mountains in the background. They got the rock up there picking games. The rock has no ties to Colorado, but he's there because it's a cool thing to do. Right. And, and, and coach primes there. So I don't know how it ends up. They're a much better football team than I think a lot of us thought they could be because like when you and I were coming up in football, chemistry was a big deal. It was, I know for me, like we had one transfer in, I think that was impactful my entire four years at LSU. Shout out to Sammy Joseph, who funny enough came from Colorado. We just didn't have that. We didn't have a lot of in and out. It just wasn't the case. And so like I put a point of emphasis on chemistry, but I think they're showing us it doesn't really matter as much as we maybe thought it did. So I don't know where it ends up. If they end up in a bowl game, I think that's a hell of a season considering they won a game a year ago, but it is certainly a different way of doing it. Yeah, of course, they've got to end up in a bowl game. I mean, it, yeah. it just looks like the momentum's there. And it is odd to see this many transfers and to see Colorado have the success. Granted, you know, it was kind of a rebuilding TCU team. And it was kind of – I think we're going to find out more this week when they try. Oh, yeah. Next two Damn. weeks, we'll, we'll find out uh, all we want to know, I think, about Colorado. That's right. Dan Lanning and the Oregon Ducks. And of course, yeah. there's already video of Dan Lanning making light of Colorado leaving the, the Pac-12. So they've got their their motivation, um, to, you know, to put their shades on. And and what you know, Deion's kid playing quarterback. Look, I mean, this guy's good. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a big part of it. Uh, you wonder if Hunter will be back or not. I just I don't think they've got the juice to compete with the Oregon Ducks up there. And Eugene, that is a really, really difficult yeah. place to play. I saw Michigan State play up there. You mentioned 2007. Uh, a moment ago. And, and it was not, you know, it's not like you're trying to call attention to yourself being a part of a <laughs> national championship team or anything. It just so happened to be the chaotic year that we won it. Two losses, right? The only yeah. loss national champion. And I remember uh, covering that 2007 LSU team against Tennessee and the SEC champion. That was the last time Tennessee played in an SEC title game. And I really thought that Eric Ainge and the Vols had you that day, but they turned the ball over late. And, of course, the less miles led Tigers knew what to do. Um, only two losses were both overtime games. And um, could we have a two-loss team? And, and and let me ask you, as a, as a two-loss national, I can't imagine that takes any of the shine off your ring. I'm sure that no. when you pull that ring out, people don't go, oh, well, you are a two-loss. It's champion's a champion, right? That's why I don't think yeah. these playoffs necessarily are going to dim what the college football champion looks like these days. No, look at the Giants Super Bowl team. Were they nine and seven one of those years? You think they care that they were nine and seven? Look, I have been a part of two NFL teams, two different franchises where we were 13 and three. Both times we won 11 games in a row and didn't win a playoff game, right? So you got to finish it. You got to find a way, right? And that jersey over my shoulder right there, it's got a national championship patch. It doesn't have an asterisk, two losses. Next to it, a little crystal ball over here somewhere in this shelf, right? It doesn't have an asterisk saying two losses. It just, it's a crystal ball. And so, yeah, you got to go out there. That's why I love the 12 team playoff. You got to go out there and you got to prove it every single week. You got to find a way, right? And we did have two losses that year, both in triple overtime. It was a crazy year. 
but we got an opportunity. We made the most of it there at the end. But I'll tell you the most important thing about that team is we, even though we thought we, you know, probably couldn't find our way back into a national championship picture, going out and winning the SEC was damn important to us. Like it meant a lot to us. And so like going out there and playing that game and respecting that game and what that game was, I mean, it meant the world to us. And so even though we didn't think necessarily maybe we could find our way back into it, we were going to try to put our best effort with the backup quarterback in that game. And so, yeah, I mean, it try to come take, you know, all these uh, these old national championship crystal balls away. They can't do it, right? So if a team ends up having two losses in the 12-team playoff, they're going to celebrate it like they're undefeated. Well, I'll tell you, LSU did have a great run there under Nick Saban and Les Miles and at Ordron. They've had three different coaches win national championships at LSU. Will there be a fourth? Is Brian Kelly <laughs> going to win a national championship? I'm going to put you right on the spot. Yeah. Is Brian Kelly going to win a national championship at LSU during his tenure there? Oh, I think he will. I think because of the past history, what you just said, the last three coaches have won national championships. And after Coach Saban kind of unlocked what LSU could be year in and year out, I think now there's a blueprint. And you know these coaches understand that blueprint. They understand you've got to dominate Louisiana in recruiting. It's a very unique state. It's a small state, but it's got talent all over the place. It's not as big as Ohio or Georgia or Texas or Florida or California, but per capita, you've got as many NFL guys as any other state. So if you dominate that state from top to bottom, you're going to be competitive and you're going to have a chance and you got to get your guys from Texas and Mississippi and some of these other places, but there is a blueprint for national championship success. And you're seeing the way Brian Kelly wants to build this team. I mean, right now it's up front. LSU's not, look, we can't sit here and just name after name, after name, after name, LSU offensive linemen that have made it to the NFL. Sure. There's some, but it's not been a position of strength and you can tell that's how they want to build this team. And so he's doing it in his mold, but I think that eventually he's too good of a coach. LSU's too good of a program. Now, when it comes, I don't know, but I think he will certainly win a national championship. All right. By now, Jacob, there's a lot of Georgia fans that are wondering if this has turned into the LSU happy hour because I've taken you down glory road. We're, hmm. predicting, we're predicting great success for the LSU Tigers down there. It wasn't that long ago that Joe Burrow was just stomping everyone in what I believe was the best team of the millennium. But I've got to ask you this. I got I got to give the Georgia fans need a little bit of love. Yeah. You played in the 2005 game, which Georgia and DJ Shockley, can you give me a memory and a glimpse of a little bit of that Georgia glory when DJ Shockley and the Bulldogs were able to beat LSU in 2005, two years before you won your national championship there. What do you recall from that game? And I know you were a much younger player that was not nearly as heavily involved as you were a few years ago. Hold on now. I, I was, I was I had three fingers in the dirt at that time playing a little fullback in the 2005 games before I made the transition to uh tailback, but 05 for us, like that was a long year. I mean, Hurricane Katrina. And so we started out, I mean, it was, gosh, I mean, we're supposed to have a home game. That game gets canceled. We're supposed to play Arizona State the next week at home. That game gets moved to Tempe, Arizona, like pretty much the week of. But that was a, that was a really good LSU team. Now, we didn't have a bye week, and so we're going on fumes there. But it didn't matter, I don't think, that day. I mean, Georgia was ready to go. I don't want that to sound like an excuse because – DJ was ready to, I mean, shock. I, I talked to him about that game all the time. That was one of those games you could tell, like, no matter what, he was going to go out there and have that kind of day. And so Georgia, man, they were ready to go. And, um, you know, a couple different times in the game, you felt like we had an opportunity to get back in it. And we just never took that opportunity. Jamarcus goes down, Flynn comes in. I think the first pass Matt threw was a pick six. And it's like, okay, this is the Georgia Bulldogs day. And so, yeah, it, it was a, a rough year for LSU as far as the way everything kind of worked out around it. But again, you got to give all the credit to Georgia. And Shock's one of my favorite human beings on this earth. And so if anybody had to go out there and play like he did and beat us, I'm glad at least it was him. And Mike Bobo there calling the plays for the dogs. Some things, you know, here we are now, 18 yeah. years later. Uh, asked you earlier, gave you a little bit of heads up. Not a lot. You didn't have to do a lot of research. <laughs> if you're ranking the top four SEC teams right now, and this is this is really tough to me because obviously yeah. Georgia hasn't lost, but they certainly haven't won the beauty contest either. But how do you rank right now? Let's go five deep. Let's go five deep. Okay. Give me your top five SEC teams right now in order. In typical years, we would be able, like you wouldn't even had to, like you gave me, you know, about a minute to kind of get this ready. In typical years, we wouldn't even need like a minute, like like five SEC teams. We'd just roll them off the tongue, right? Right. Got to sit here. I got the pen out. Like I'm sitting there writing like <laughs> while you're talking, like, oh man, okay, well, 
Sure. Okay. Okay. So this is the best five I can come up with right now as we sit here going into this week's games. I still got Georgia number one. Uh, you know what I think about Kirby Smart. You know what I think about that program. And until they prove otherwise, I'm going to have them number one. They've earned the benefit of the doubt. It's not like they looked poor. They just haven't looked maybe like they did to end last season, which is expected because there's a lot of new, but they're still winning games. So I still got UGA one. I got LSU two, Ole Miss three, Alabama four. And how about this for my guy, Drink, Missouri number five. Wow. That is amazing. I hey, they just beat the Big 12 champion, a good Kansas State football team. Are you sure that's just not a knock on AM? Because that feels an awful lot like an AM. You think right now, I mean, no, you, you're right. They're undefeated. AM had a really bad loss. I'm, I guess I'm higher on Petrino <laughs> than you are. But that, that I, yeah, I mean, I guess you make a case. I mean, they just beat a top 20, they beat the defending top big 15. Team. Yeah. Yeah. Argue, is that maybe, is that the best SEC? non-conference win to date i'm trying to i think, think it has to be i mean old miss beating Tulane was nice but yeah that's better i mean it's on the road but Tulane was down their quarterback yeah i think that's the best win and a yeah, prisoner of the moment maybe but look i think a lot of blake baker the defense coordinator at mizzou i think a lot of eli drinkwitz he gives up play calling duties i talked with him about that in this game look this game meant something to them i caught up with drink at the senior bowl at spring meetings and at media day, he mentioned that Kansas State game, 42 to 10 last year in every single conversation I had with him. I didn't even have to ask him about it. So I know that game meant something to him. But look, five could change. Five could be Tennessee. It could be Florida. It could be A&M. Who knows where Auburn ends up? And so right now, again, because they just had the big win, I think it is Mizzou. But I think if we're looking at who could play in Atlanta right now out of out of the West, I think it's going to come down to LSU, Ole Miss, Bama, but I don't see a team, Mike, right now in the East that's going to challenge Georgia. Like, if Georgia had to go to the swamp at night and, and you know, Florida just got this big win against Tennessee, okay, maybe. Maybe we'll, we'll talk about that, but I just don't see Georgia right now losing to a team out of the East. No, and I don't either, and I was at the uh, Florida and – uh, Tennessee game the other night, and I, I still think Tennessee on the road is going to be their toughest regular season game. I mean, I give the Gators all the credit in the world, uh, but if they're not at the swamp, they don't win that game. I mean, there were five false starts and two timeouts burned, and you know, a the crowd brought it for plays. sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, home field advantage. Yeah. You know, you you touched on something a moment ago, and maybe some of our viewers, you know, don't really remember or know this, but obviously Kirby was at LSU mm-hmm. uh, when you were there, and and you got some history. I guess I'd ask you to share maybe a a Kirby anecdote. The last time I asked you to go on the way back machine, you were, you were giving us some, some good background on how Jimbo and, and, and uh, Nick Saban had battled back there that what we saw play out in front of the world a, a summer ago, uh, it kind of happened at practice every day, but you also got to see Kirby smart in, in, in early in his career and, and had some exchanges with him. And uh, I'll let you tell the story of your background with Kirby smart uh, at LSU. Yeah. I love Kirby. Kirby's great. Uh, no surprise that Kirby's having the success that he's having, like truly not. Like even as a young football coach, you could tell like the attention to detail, the passion that he brought to every single practice. And for me, I came into LSU obviously to play offense, but with the way it was working out, I was playing a little bit of fullback, but I wasn't out there a ton and I made a couple of plays. And so coach Saban's like, Hey, we're going to try you at safety. I'm like, all right, hey, what? Like, and, and Coach Saban was notorious for trying to move every running back that wasn't playing to safety. He he tried to get all those guys, and so he goes. He has a conversation with my running back coach, Derek Dooley, and Dooley's like, "Look, he can go over there, but he's got to kind of split time." And so, imagine I'm a freshman trying to learn Jimbo's offense and Nick's defense, and so my head was spinning. But my goodness, man, Kirby just he he would sit there with me, Mike, for hours, and we we would we would. I mean, we were bon- uh, burning a both ends. Me trying to learn the defense. It was during training camp, and I mean, he did he did as as much as he possibly could. And then finally, it's one day like I'm out there playing safety, and I look up and it's Dwayne Bow, first round pick, Buster Davis, first round pick, and I'm trying to cover these guys playing any coverage. It didn't matter what coverage you were calling; they were going to win in that one on one matchup. And so <laughs> finally. Jimbo and then they have a conversation. I move back and I go and I'm I'm kind of chopping it up with Kirby. Like, hey man, I appreciate coach what you've done for me, like sitting here. And they said I'm moving back to offense full time. He's like, Whoo, Hess, you're much better running forward than you are backwards. That's a good move for everybody. And, and so he tried his best, but uh yeah, just never was going to happen. But 
again, going back to like, I was a freshman trying to figure out what position to play. He didn't have to take that time. He had all Americans and Corey Webster and Travis Daniels that he could be coaching up and he did, but he also took the time attention to detail to try to help me learn the position. And honestly, he didn't have to like, it's training camp. Like we're all like exhausted trying to figure out he was a young coach again. So, um, like, no surprise, just no surprise that he's doing what he's doing there as a head coach. Yeah, a testament to your career. You know, here's a guy that's a future NFL running back that's, you know, getting moved around to safety early in his career and, you know, sticking it out, going from one coach to another. Got to, I love the Jacob Hester story. I'm a fan of Jacob Hester. So you folks know that. Uh, dialing back to Georgia, though, what Kirby did then is kind of what he's doing now. There is the longest yeah. list of injuries and Kirby said this today in his press conference. He's not, and as he said, he's not a woe is me guy. That's not right. You know, that, that is not his MO, but he did disclose today that look, this is the longest list of injuries that Georgia has ever had during the Kirby Smart tenure. And he said this is kind of a national trend. We're seeing more of this. I mean, my gosh, you look at the NFL injury report every week, and you're like, yeah. what in the world's going on? But it's happening now at Georgia. More guys on the injury report, more guys that are, you know, the injuries being disclosed. Uh, you know, this Georgia team has not won the beauty contest. As we said, they're undefeated, but they right. had to come from behind against South Carolina. They get one more breather. They get one more warm up, Jacob, and they play UAB. What do you think Georgia needs to do uh, to kind of snap? When you look at Georgia, what's missing and what do you think they need to do to snap into form um, so that they can maybe win another national, what would be a third national title? What has to happen? Yeah. Well, it, it's hard to criticize what they're doing because they're winning games and they're efficient as well. Like the offense right now, it might not be the sexiest offense, right? But they're efficient. And so I, I realize a lot of Georgia fans are like, man, is this going to work when we play the better opponents? Are, are, are all these slip screens going to work after we continue to call them time and time again when we play a better opponent? We don't know that. But I know that you have a quarterback that was highly efficient. I think Carson Beck graded out 88% overall against South Carolina. Right, he put his team in a position to win. Uh, Cash Jones and Edwards in the backfield. I, I, look, I, I like that that duo there. And you know me, I'm a huge Kendall Milton fan. But if you can't get on the field, well, we got to count on somebody else. And isn't Cash Jones like the the ultimate like Kirby Smart player? Like a guy he he finds him preferred walk on. He goes out there, does whatever you ask him to do. He's got like no gloves on, wearing you know just the basic uniform but he just goes out there and makes plays and so it's hard to criticize although i understand georgia fans having a little bit of a worry in the back of their head but also they're doing what they have to do to win games like they're going to go out there against uab and they're going to be the same team they're going to be efficient it's not going to look sexy and that's just what it is and if you win games does it really matter all right you're just trying to get more reps for Carson Beck, more confidence. So when you do get into that dogfight, because I understand that being a worry, man, when you get in a, a close game and you've played these opponents where you've been blowing them out, how is he going to react? Well, he hasn't shown us anything that he's not going to react well to that. And so you got to keep trusting him. I'd like to see them put maybe more on his plate, uh, see if they can open it up a little bit. I mean, this UAB team is, look, let's just call it like it is. They are not a great defensive team. I mean, Louisiana Lafayette just put it, on them, even even like they scored a couple times late to make that look even better than it was. ULL dominated that game. Let's see what you can do. Push the ball down the field. Get your receivers more involved. You need to see more from that room, right? You need to see more playmakers. We know they got playmakers in the backfield. We just mentioned Jones and Edwards and Milton. You've got those guys. I mean, some you got guys wearing receiver numbers playing in the backfield that are doing big things. That's great. You need to get the receivers, right? You go get guys through the transfer portal for this reason. You'd like to see more from them. Now, I mean, they're in 11 personnel way more than they were a year ago. I think the breakdown, I think they were in 11, 49 snaps against South Carolina, only 18 and 12 personnel. Like we know they're a 12 personnel team last year, and you had two of the better tight ends in the country. And so they're trying to spread it out. They're trying to be more of a 2023 type offense, even though Mike Bobo does run some things that he's always run. So for me, if I'm saying, Hey, you got to get this receiver group going, that would probably be my key to the game against UAB. Yeah, no doubt. Led McConkey will be out one more week. It looks like maybe the back, the back makes me a little nervous, Mike. And you know, I'm a huge lad fan. I had a chance to catch up with him uh, the semifinal and the final. I think he's a great young man. I think he's exactly what you want at that position. Back scare me a little bit. And so you got to make sure that guy is fully healthy 
even if it's a, a game where you feel like you need him, if he's not healthy, you have got to make sure because backs can be nagging all season long. No, and that's what happened to Lad, you know, leading up to the season. I mean, he, yeah. he practiced a few days and things would go well, and then he'd right. tweak it and rested. And then in the next week, and, and like you said, you don't want that recurring injury. Kendall Milton, it was the hamstrings and now a, a sprained MCL. No reason to run Kendall Milton against UAB. And I'll tell you, the number 86 that you see in the backfield, I got to tell you, you and I are both uh, big fans of the running back position. Uh, certainly, you heck uh, up a lot more accomplished than I ever dreamed of being. But I really like this Dylan Bell guy. Get some film of him, Jacob. You're going to like yeah. this. He doesn't run like a receiver. This cat no. forward lean, and he's got vision. And, you know, I said this guy, this is the cat quickest. I will use that as my adjective, cat quickest, that I've seen since Swift. And that means that's over James Cook, who just went over 100 yards of the night. That's over Kenny yeah. McIntosh, who had over 1,300 uh, total yards uh, for the dogs. Like one of the most probably underrated running backs in recent SEC history was Kenny McIntosh. That's over Zamir White, uh, who was a low four guy. This guy, Dylan Bell, I mean, this is one of those magical things that's happened. And I really hope that Georgia takes advantage because Bell is kind of a kind of struck me as kind of a mediocre any mediocre if you're mediocre at george that means you're all world everywhere else but kind of a mediocre receiver that just never really distinguished himself you put him in the backfield and i'm yeah. just seeing some unbelievable things so that you know this is the kind of thing that happens at georgia it happens with the schedule it turns out the schedule uh very fortuitous uh yeah. for georgia football to have this sort of schedule i want to move around the sec before i let you go big game this week alabama and old miss i noticed that you had old miss ahead of alabama yeah, and Tuscaloosa uh, recently announced Jalen Milrow quarterback. I wonder if the Alabama player meeting, if there was a, I, I don't know. What 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 is your take on the Bama situation? What the the two guys they played? What will what we might see from Milrow and the Tide moving forward? Yeah, I mean, it felt like going to Buckner felt a little panicky last week. Like when you watch the Texas tape, I'm not going to say that that was Milrow that lost that game. I mean, you lost that game up front. And so you make the move to Buckner, and he is, I mean, obviously anybody that watched the South Florida game, he just was not it. Simpson came in, he was better, but you you got to kind of settle on, on one guy, in my opinion. I don't know that you want to keep this carousel going because now you're getting into the thick of your SEC schedule. And if you're not going to win up front, which they didn't again against South Florida, then I go to the guy in Milrow that I know has an elite skill set, which is he can take off, he can run, he can buy more time. And I realize he has certainly not been perfect at the quarterback position, but I think they want to settle on a guy because Ole Miss is coming in there with every intention to win that game. I think I saw the number Alabama's a touchdown favorite. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I don't see it right now. I don't see it on tape. And we know Ole Miss wants to run the football. Don't let uh, offensive visor guy fool you. That is not who Lane Kiffin is. He wants to run the football. And they want to do it with multiple running backs. And so they're going to come in and they're going to test that defensive front for Alabama. And it sounds wild that we're even saying that. But that's where they got beat against Texas was on the defense and offensive line. And again, South Florida got after Alabama's offensive line. That is not something we're used to seeing. And so they got to get that cleaned up. Like quarterback, you can make all the moves you want. If you don't protect that quarterback, it doesn't matter who's back there. It could be Tua Tunga by Loa, Mac Jones, Bryce Young, Joe Namath, let me Tyler Watts, Brody Croyle, John Parker Wilson. It doesn't matter who it is. You got to protect that guy. I mean, they were. They were throwing more no-hitters than Nolan Ryan. I mean, it, it was just like time and time again. And so they got to get that cleaned up before they can be, you know, a, a team that can start talking about the quarterback position being the main issue. It's an issue, but I think up front's the main issue. A couple of big games. Auburn plays at AM. I mean, this is a separator game. Obviously, Georgia fans will have their eyes on that. Georgia travels to play at Auburn, their first road game of the season the week after Saturday. And then Arkansas will rivalry here. Arkansas coming off a really a surprising home loss to me. I know they didn't have Rocket Sanders, but playing that LSU team that just went in there and was very impressive. Uh, you know, I thought that game would be a lot closer, Jacob. What are your thoughts on those two games, Auburn and AM yeah. and and Arkansas against LSU? Auburn and AM is going to be a great kind of test uh, of which team is going to really compete in the West. And I don't think we know a lot about Auburn right now. Um, when you look at some of some of their games, there's been some clunkiness, but they're going out there and they're finding a way. And so how much better are they going to get as we continue on down the season? I think they're going to improve greatly. I think that's a team that each and every week is going to gain confidence and go out there and put a pretty good product on the field. And for AM, it's a great opportunity to bounce back 
again, going back to it, like the ACC team, Miami was more physical than you were up front. And again, it was, it was shocking. And I'm not just picking on these teams. I mean, Florida state was to LSU as well, but A&M, if they want to get back into it, obviously this is a must win situation. If they lose this one, how much does it spiral? So I think it's, Important for Auburn, way more important for Texas A&M. They got to be able to handle a situation like this because if they don't compete yet again, I mean, that's just – that's trouble in paradise. That will be – if they lose another game, that's going to be another year to add to them not winning a conference title, right? They've won one since 94, and that was in 1998. That's a long, long time ago. So their backs up are against the wall. Cause I just think if they lose this one, they can't fight their way back into getting to Atlanta, which you're still trying to get to for the first time. So that, that game's intriguing to me. And then for LSU and Arkansas, Arkansas, you know, b- very disappointing loss. Let's call it like it is. BYU is not picked to be a contender in the big 12. They were towards the bottom half, I think somewhere around 10, 11 in that kind of spot in the media poll. And they're a team that really didn't have anything offensively and they didn't do anything great in this game. They only had like 280 total yards, but they scored points and Arkansas continued to make mistakes and BYU capitalized on every single one of them. And so Arkansas is going to have their back against the wall, but you're talking about a team in LSU. It's going to have the ultimate confidence coming in after what they did. Uh, I thought LSU would be very successful in Starkville, but I mean, Jaden Daniels was like 30 or 34 in that game. And if he plays like that, if he's pushing the ball down the field, if he scans the field like that, then LSU becomes a very difficult team to beat. And so I like LSU in this matchup. It's a home game. It's going to be a night game. This is going to be really the first opportunity for LSU's home crowd because no disrespect to Grambling, but it's going to be a packed house for an Arkansas game. And so I would be surprised if LSU is not successful in this one. Boy, say no more night game for LSU. Tigers coming off a big win, and they've got a rival in the stadium. So a lot of momentum for the LSU Tigers, a big showdown in Tuscaloosa between Ole Miss and Alabama, Georgia with a, a tuned-up game. Uh, Jacob, really appreciate you joining me. Your football knowledge is 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 just awesome. I love talking ball with you, obviously. Like I said, big, big fan of yours, everything you accomplished, your hard work ethic, your career. It's a, it's an awesome story. I mean, it really is when I go back and, and track uh, how you went from, you know, coming in and moving to defense and having to play a little fullback. Yeah. There was a lot of hard work before the glory, before the glory (laughs) years and that national title, but um, anyway, I really appreciate you joining us, man. So yeah. Yeah. I want to thank everybody for joining us this week. Uh, Again, really pleased that that Jacob was able to join us, Jacob Hester. Uh, I want to thank my producer, Michael Carvel. Don't forget, every day, uh, Brandon Adams comes to you with Dog Nation Daily at 10 a.m. And on Wednesday night, Jeff Centel. Before the Hedges Sunday night, it's Connor and Coverage. And, of course, Thursday night, it's the Happy Hour with Katie Manziel. So have a great week, everybody.